He sort of struts in. They say the king is coming. It's a big deal. And he looks around at his whole family and all of the attendants and the whole audience, because they're all his servants as well. And he says, give me the map there. This is the third line spoken by King Lear in the Shakespeare play about him. It's a tragic tale about Lear's relationship to power and to his family. It's a very difficult play. King Lear is Shakespeare's masterpiece. Denise Hicks is the executive artistic director for the Nashville Shakespeare Festival. And last year, she directed a production of King Lear. And the thing about it was, Denise had planned for years on exactly who she would cast in the challenging lead role. Well, I built the show around David. She's talking about a guy named David Landon. He's a huge personality. He's so charismatic. He's so, he's really kingly. He was a theater professor at the University of the South. And at the time of the show was 78 years old. And all throughout rehearsal and the first week of the play, Denise said he kept joking that this play was going to kill him. 6.30 a.m., Tuesday morning, I have a text from the person that he'd been staying with here in Nashville, and she said, David's in the hospital. He had uh, what they assumed was a a bleeding ulcer problem, and they did. They knew he wouldn't be out that day, but they didn't know uh, how long he would be in. When was the next show? 10 a.m. For Denise's theater company to cancel even just one performance, it's a big deal. But she felt like she had no choice and canceled that day's show. Then she immediately got looking for a new King Lear. The first person I called was excited about the possibility, but he had surgeries. The next person I called wasn't well. I called was in Atlanta, I think. I could get there tomorrow. I'd need a few days of rehearsal. What I was looking for was somebody to perform within 24 hours. There was no one. Denise didn't know what to do, so she called a meeting of everyone involved in the play. And it turns out, they knew someone who would show up immediately and dive into the part. The cast decided that I should play the role. I stepped in and played King Lear. Give me the map there. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today, the role of a lifetime, a story about the cumulative effect of seizing the moment over and over again. Hello. Hey, Denise. Oh, hey. Denise is very used to talking in front of a lot of people, but okay. she's not used to it being recorded. Oh, no. so. You're capturing my soul. <laughs> <laughs> That's because for her, life is to be lived right now. The thing, sorry about that, um, getting my coffee. As I self-analyze, when I was a child, like two, and uh, I, I was the youngest, and um, everybody took turns putting me to bed. Denise was raised in rural Pennsylvania. And they taught me that prayer. Now, now I lay me down to sleep. sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
And I thought every single day was the last day of my life because I always thought I was going to die before I woke. And rather than terrorize her, the thought that she might not make it to tomorrow meant that all the things she cared about, all the interesting opportunities that came her way, she was going to embrace them right now. I think all of that immediacy and urgency even to be aware and, and enjoy life, uh, all of that probably comes from just uh, programming when I was a baby that this might be the last day of our lives. Some people might act differently if this was their last day. They might go to hedonism or nihilism and do whatever they want and not worry about the consequences. But Denise goes toward care. She's not going to put off taking a risk that might help someone else. But why theater then? Why not be a social worker or a doctor? Well, you need to understand just how she views theater. When she was about five years old, her family put on a variety show that they would perform for army veterans during the Vietnam War. Young men would come back to rural Pennsylvania, injured and traumatized. So they would sing them songs and tell them jokes. And one day, her mom told her that she was finally old enough to be in the show. They built a little box for me to stand on because uh, the microphone wouldn't lower far enough for me. I was really small. And I sang your grand old flag for these veterans who were very damaged uh, physically and mentally. And so... My mother said at that time, you know, if you can make somebody's life better, even for just one hour, you've done a good day's work. I learned then that performance really is social work. It's it's doing what you can to alleviate someone else's pain. So living like it was always her last day, coupled with the fact that she enjoyed performing and saw it as a very important thing to do, that started to give her life a certain shape. Singing turned into acting. She did her first play in seventh grade, did several musicals in high school, but it was in English class where she heard something that changed her life. Mr. Polygnone loved Shakespeare. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. So when we read Romeo and Juliet out loud in class, it was a theatrical experience. See how she leans her cheek upon her hand? Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand, that I might touch that cheek. Once Shakespeare gets into your bloodstream, it's a really, um, it's really hard habit to kick. Denise did explore other theater options. In college, she did a lot of musicals. She came to Nashville to perform in a country music show at the Opryland USA theme park. She tried dinner theater and even did an avant-garde German expressionist play where she crawled across stage wearing pants like a shirt while static played over the speakers. I think it was a play about the environment. (laughs) (laughs) But then in 1988, this new thing happened in town called Shakespeare in the Park. It was really just a, a courageous group of actors who gathered to do As You Like It in the park. And I don't even think they had gotten permission to do it. I think it was sort of like guerrilla theater. It was a scrappy outfit. They had lawn chairs for a set. They wore their street clothes for costumes. And Denise was there in the audience for their very first performance. At intermission, it started getting quite dark. And they realized they'd never run the show in real time. And it was getting too dark to see. So they, a couple of the actors had pickup trucks. And they pulled those up and they turned on their headlights. Then they finished 
the performance by the light of their trucks. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. I thought that that was something that was really great for the city, something, you know, free theater in the park. It's something that families can do um, when you don't have much money. And I really like art that's for everybody. Sometimes people can see Shakespeare as inaccessible, with archaic old English, politics that seem irrelevant. But Denise believes just the opposite. It's endured for hundreds of years because it is relevant for everyone. Shakespeare's plays show us the human condition from almost every possible angle. And Denise believes that can have a unifying effect where a wealthy suburban family can sit in the park next to a woman who is homeless and enter into these universal realities together. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. And then the whining schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like furnace, with a woeful ballad made to his mistress. After the break, a tragedy 10 years later, and Denise's short stint away from Shakespeare. Stay with us. Two years after Denise watched As You Like It, lit up by headlights, she herself decided to become a part of the Nashville Shakespeare Festival. But it wasn't a high-paying gig. That was the year they thought they would try to pay everyone by evenly dividing the donations they got. Everybody got $40 or something. (laughs) But despite its humble beginnings, it was the start of a new rhythm to the city. Denise's first year, they did The Merry Wives of Windsor. In 91, Othello. The next year, Much Ado About Nothing, followed by A Comedy of Errors, A Midsummer's Night's Dream, Macbeth, Julius Caesar, The Taming of the Shrew. And then came 1998. It was the 10th anniversary of the festival. A milestone. Over the course of 10 years was time enough to see those four-year-olds who that was their first memory grow into 14-year-olds who were maybe auditioning for us. But several months before the play season, a tornado devastated the city. It went right through the heart of downtown. It bent the, the statue on the top of Union Station over. The storm damaged or completely destroyed people's homes. For some, their world came to a stop. But Denise was determined that the festival would be there as a source of comfort and continuity for people. That year, they did a comedy. Twelfth Night was our, was our present, our gift to help Nashville heal from the damage that the storm had done. Oh, time! Thou must untangle this, not I. Denise came out before the show to thank people for coming and say a little bit about the festival. This is something she did all the time, And for someone who's known for seizing the moment, she's also known for it seizing her. Seeing everybody there, she got really choked up. Thinking about what what a gift like this, what a gift like free professional theater to a family could mean um, to people who, who came from the mess that was now their home out to the park to just sit and have a beautiful evening in the park, under the stars, and have people reciting Shakespeare to them and singing beautiful songs. It just, uh, it moves me. And as I am woman, now alas the day. 
day, what thriftless sigh shall poor Olivia breathe? People have teased me most of my life for believing that theater can change the world. I really think theater can save the world by making us all more humane and more connected and more considerate. I never got Denise saying this on tape, but I have notes from a phone conversation we had. I asked her if she ever got tired of Shakespeare after so many years of doing it. And she immediately, and I mean quick, said no. She said, first off, there's so many plays that there's plenty of variety. But also, no matter how much you master these plays, even just one of them, there will always be questions unanswered and new shades of nuance. The bard will always surprise you. Okay, this isn't real sounds, but pretend. It's 10.30 on a winter morning. A matinee performance for a group of high school students is about to begin. Denise is waiting in the wings to go on stage as King Lear for the first time with her script in her hand. How did you feel? I, uh, as an actor, I have learned that um, panic is an energy you have to put into performance. (laughs) So instead of panicking or even putting any amount of energy into fighting them, I just said yes. She comes onto the stage with a host of characters and demands a map of Lear's kingdom be laid out in front of her. Give me the map there. The play starts with King Lear in a room making a declaration. In his old age, he has decided to divide up his kingdom amongst his three daughters. He demands their love. Two of the daughters pour out their affection, while the third daughter, who really does love Lear, refuses to prove that she loves him. So Lear gives the kingdom to the older two, who are willing to play his game. But when they finally take control of the money and land, they reveal their true colors and treat Lear like an annoying, powerless old man. When David Landon played Lear, he had a domineering presence, well over six feet tall. Denise is five feet, four inches, and very petite. But rather than being a bad fit, it merely added a brand new dimension to the story. As a smaller woman who was fighting to be seen still as powerful as a big, strong king, and everybody treats the character like a little old woman, I really understood the fury and the rage in him. And he does this great mad scene when he just goes out into the rain and he says, like, strike lightning. A poor, infirm, weak and despised old man. Go on, bring it. But really, it was him dealing with how age has emasculated him. He is no longer the big, strong man. He is now seen as weak and small and... Old. Taking risks has always added brand new experiences to Denise's life. In fact, seizing the moment actually led her away from Shakespeare for a while. When her son Arlo was 11, she decided they needed to do something big and adventurous as a part of his coming-of-age education. So she quit the Shakespeare Fest and took Arlo and their dog on a year-long trip in a van. She passed along this you-never-know-if-you-have-a-tomorrow way of life onto her son. Each day, she would let him choose where they were going to go on the map and make him responsible for what he wanted to learn about when they got there. She called it his Bohemian Bar Mitzvah. When she got back, she found out the guy who replaced her at the festival didn't work out. So she was offered the job again. And as you would expect, she said yes. 
She said yes to doing a vaudeville production of Shakespeare. She said yes to casting retired Tennessee Titans football player Eddie George as Julius Caesar. He's now on Broadway, by the way. And she said yes to her colleague Santiago directing a play, even though he'd never done it before. I would honestly say that I owe essentially whatever career I have currently right now all to her. Like everything sort of comes back. And that is a story I've heard over and over again. Stepping up and and taking risks is worth it because you might inspire someone else that that might not have the courage or the strength even to step up and take a risk like that. You don't seem that interested in it, that being about you, though. Um, you, you're, you seem to be willing to take um, these risks as, as a team. Yeah. Yeah. What's and that, about? that, well, that comes from, that comes from a ton of insecurity. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I have a lot more faith in the, in collective creativity than I do in my own, in my own, uh, talent or abilities. So yeah, it comes out of insecurity, <laughs> which is fear. So it's just a matter of saying, yes, I am afraid, and yes, I think I can't do this, but that doesn't stop me from trying. Sometimes she wonders if others see her as foolish. Again, back to Shakespeare. Shakespeare's fools are the are the ones who will, you know, tell the king the truth, and uh, they're not afraid to to be foolish. They just live in the moment. When Lear realizes his oldest two daughters don't love him and he runs out into a violent thunderstorm, he encounters a man playing a beggar. He realizes that human beings truly are vulnerable. He says man is no more but such a poor, bare, forked animal. After that, there's a battle between the armies of his oldest two daughters and that of his youngest, Cordelia. She's captured, and Lear believes that he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison with the daughter who truly loved him in the first place. Come, let's wait a prison. We two alone will sing like birds in the cage. When thou dost ask me blessing, I'll kneel down and ask of thee forgiveness. So we'll live and pray and sing and tell old tales and laugh at gilded butterflies and hear poor rogues talk of court news. And we'll talk with them too, who loses and who wins, who's in, who's out, and take upon us the mystery of things as if we were God's spies. And we'll wear out in a walled prison Pacts and sects of great ones that ebb and flow by the moon. Isn't that awesome? It's just so beautiful to me because he's, he's saying, listen, we got nothing to lose, so we have everything to live for. All right, that's the show. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis. Production assistance from Caleb Shiver. 
The show's editors are Mac Linebaugh, Emily Siner, and Anita Bug. Also thanks to Tony Gonzalez and Mariba Knight as well. Special thanks to Speak the Speech for their recordings of Shakespeare's plays. Music in this episode is by Poddington Bear, Chris Zabriskie, and this song is by Dan Burns. Neighbors is a proud member of The Herd. To learn more about this amazing audio collective, visit theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Go ahead and leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. Visit neighborspodcast.com where you can buy a neighbor's shirt or a pint glass. And please, please, please tell your grandma about the show. I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. Neighbors.